Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Let's pray together. Lord, we do give you thanks for this day. And we do recognize that in and of ourselves, we are not enough. But by the power of your spirit, you give us life. That we might have life abundantly in this world and eternally. Lord, I pray you'd teach us to understand that Abundant life is found in following your will, doing your ministry, not in the things of the world. That your spirit would speak to each one of us today, that no spirit of Satan would have any authority here or with the children, but rather that you would speak clearly to each of our hearts. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We started a few weeks ago this series entitled Belong Again, after a year ago talking about beginning again in light of the things that have transpired in the last few years, and belonging again because it seems that during the last seasons that many of us have easily become disconnected, whether it's from the church or just relationships. Maybe it wasn't so intentional. Maybe you didn't have an option, but maybe you felt disconnected. And we wanted to emphasize the importance of relationships, that those who live alone don't have to be lonely, but those who are lonely have more health problems, more emotional problems, that we need relationships, that being with people is something that God has created to nurture us, to build us up, to carry us through life. And you know, in different seasons of life, you need different types of relationships. Like maybe early in life, you need someone to be a mentor to you. But in a different season of life, you may need to be a mentor to others. That it's something that God's called you to to minister to, to mentor those in a different generation. But whatever it is, God calls us to belong in relationship, and the foremost relationship is with him. And last week, we talked about this idea of belonging to Jesus. What does it mean to belong to him? And we started with the scripture in Romans that talks about the law, not talking specifically about relationship with Christ, but talking about the Old Testament law, which is really the moral law of God. And Paul writing there said that those who are under the law, that they are accountable to God. That is, God gave the moral law of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments and all the things associated with it, and said, here, live by these standards because God himself is holy and righteous, and they reflect his character. They're not arbitrary. And yet, every human being fails to abide by the moral law. And the scripture indicates that not only were the 
the characteristics of the law written on stone tablets, but they were also written upon your heart so that you know when you lie that there's something wrong about lying. And what Paul was saying here is that the law makes us accountable to God. In other words, we know we have violated the law. We're going to face judgment, and we're going to give an account for how we have lived our lives. But he says no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. Rather, the law makes us conscious of sin. In other words, nobody can live a perfectly righteous life. Nobody can earn their status or their entry into heaven. That it has to be a work of grace that God gives to each person. And so the law has the purpose of convicting us of sin. But what I talked about last week is that I believe many churches... I believe most churches in the United States and in other parts of the world, but maybe not every part of the world, operate on an Old Testament model. And what I mean by that is that in the Old Testament, the law was given, the priest had the responsibility to be the go-between between God and the people, that people had to abide by the requirements of the law, they had to make sacrifices and so forth. And so I think in a lot of the modern church, we act like it's the Old Testament. That we have priests and pastors and so forth. They do religious things. The rest of us just come, make a few little sacrifices here and there, do our religious duties, and that must satisfy God. And if that is the case, you'll have a hard time understanding that you belong to Christ. Because you can belong to him in having salvation. That is, you've surrendered your life, you've accepted him, but it is a far different thing to belong to him in relationship to walk with him, to hear his voice, to fellowship with him day by day. And you see, that's what I was talking about last week. Do you belong to Christ? Do you have a personal relationship with the living God? And so in talking about that, we looked at the scripture that's in John where Jesus said, greater love has no one than to lay down his life for his friends. And he said, you are my friends if you do what I command. Not that you earn the friendship of God by doing, but rather, when you're a friend of God, you want to obey what he commands. You demonstrate your friendship by your obedience. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. And you see, I think if a church is operating on an Old Testament model, it is very hard for individuals to grasp the idea that God loves you personally, that he sees you as a son or daughter in his family, and you are his friend. God loves you. You are his friend. I dare say there are a lot of people in this room that cannot get their mind around that concept and really accept that he sees you as a friend. I mentioned last week that if you'd asked me if I was a friend of God when I first became a Christian, I would have said, no, no, no. I'm a sinner who hopefully has been forgiven. And really, if you'd asked me early on in my Christian life, I would have said, hopefully, because I've told you that I prayed to receive Christ about 400 times. Because any time anybody was praying, you know, saying a prayer and says, pray after me, I'd be with them. Because I was like, I don't know if it took the first time. Or the second, I really, I did that all the time. Finally, I quit and realized, I think it's worked. But you see, I would have not have thought of myself as a friend really for years, many years. 
I thought of myself as somebody who was allowed in but really couldn't approach God. Somebody who followed him but couldn't get too close. Eventually, I began to realize he really loves you personally and you are his friend. Now, in talking about belonging to Christ last week, this week I want to talk about belonging to the Holy Spirit. Now, depending upon your background, I've known people who have told me that I grew up in a church where we never, ever talked about the Holy Spirit. There was no teaching about the Holy Spirit. The only thing they ever heard about the Holy Spirit was maybe in a creed or something where they said something about the Holy Ghost. And they were a little afraid of what that means. I heard this comedian talking about, and I don't know if he was making it up or it was true or not, but he was talking about when he was at a funeral as a little boy, and he heard the priest at a funeral, remember now, and they're burying somebody, and he thought the priest said, in the name of the Father, the Son, and in the Holy Ghost. He thought when he was saying the Holy Ghost, he was saying in the hole he goes is where they're burying him. He was like, now, as I said, he was a comedian. I don't know if he was telling it was true when he was a little boy he heard that or he was making it up. But, but see, a lot of people don't understand the Holy Ghost. And you see, he is the Holy Spirit. He's a person. And we shouldn't think of the Holy Spirit as a force or an it or something as a person. It's like this. When a dad walks his daughter down the aisle and he gives her hand to the hand of this mongrel who's going to marry her, he's giving her to that person a gift, but it's not a gift of a thing. It's a gift of a person. In the same way, this is what God does to each of us, that he gives us a gift that comes from the Father. In fact, he told the disciples, he said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. He said, John baptized with water. John's baptism was a, a, a baptism for forgiveness of sins, for repentance. But he said, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And notice he says, this is the gift of my Father. Not a gift of an inanimate thing, but a gift of a person. That the gift of God the Son was of his life as the sacrifice to cover your sin... The gift of the Holy Spirit is the life of Christ coming to dwell in you. Now, I cannot understand that concept. I really don't. I mean, I know that the Holy Spirit dwells within me, and he dwells within every person here who knows him. But I cannot fathom that God dwells within me 24-7, 365. That he never leaves. He's always there. He always sees the good and the bad all of the time. But he is the gift that the Father promised. And then when Pentecost came, the Spirit came upon the disciples. And Peter, who had denied Christ in the face of an accusation from a little girl, becomes somebody very different. Because the Holy Spirit comes upon him, comes within him, 
now empowers him to preach an extremely powerful sermon. He's preaching to the Jews and saying, you are the ones who killed Christ, which could have gotten him killed. But instead, it brought conviction, and people were like, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you too will receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. That if you really surrender your life, you really know him, have given your life over, you receive the gift. Now, here's the question. Are you certain the Holy Spirit dwells within you? See, I've known people who've done religious things, who've been a part of a church for a long time, maybe because their family wanted them to, somebody else wanted them to, but they did not know Christ and the Spirit of God did not dwell within them. The evidence of the presence of the Spirit of God in somebody's life is a changed life. Some people talk about the evidence being this gift, that gift. Well, there might be some gifts, but the primary evidence is, is your life changed? Are you different, somebody that you were not previously? Are you sensitive to God? Are you wanting to abide by his will? Do you seek to live a righteous life? Is the Holy Spirit guiding you? If so, the gift of the Spirit has come to take residence inside you. Then also in the scripture, says in Romans that you are not controlled by the sinful nature, that is by the flesh, if the Spirit of God dwells within you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Christ. You know, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent in the world, meaning he is present everywhere except for within the heart of any person who has not accepted him. And you see, right at this moment, it is perfectly easy for God the Father to know those who know him and those who do not in this world. He knows exactly. Because in those in whom the Spirit dwells, he knows they are a part of his kingdom. And in those where there is death, that is, they are not alive in the Spirit, they're not his. Not yet. There's always hope for everyone as long as they have breath. But if the Spirit of God is in you, you will know it. It's interesting. When I became a Christian, I was by myself. Now, I had lots of people had planted seed in my life over the years. My sister, who'd been a Christian for a long time, had prayed for me for a long time and made my life miserable. I blame it on her. But when I was, when I actually had a transforming experience. I was by myself. It was a work of the Holy Spirit convicting me. Now, did I understand the Holy Spirit? No, I knew nothing. In fact, what happened was I got up the next day and I went to a church, just the closest church, didn't know what I was doing. And if you had asked me that day, have you received the Holy Spirit? I would have said something like the people in the book of Acts said, I didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. See, I didn't know. But had I received the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is yes. Because I knew something had changed. I had this desire to, and it really, nothing, nothing I've never looked back from that moment. It's, it was a huge change, and it's always been that way. And so what had happened was I had received the Holy Spirit because I had surrendered my life, but I didn't even know it. I didn't have the terminology even to describe it. 
I just knew something had changed. That I was not his, I was lost, but then I was found, I came to know him. Then in Ephesians it says this, that you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's what happened to me, I was included. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise, the Holy Spirit. That God promised to send the Holy Spirit to every person who would surrender their life to him. I mentioned this in the Christmas service that was online, if you happen to catch that. Okay. I mentioned in the Christmas service, people raise the question about, well, what about those who live before the time of Christ? Well, first of all, if you look at the history of population, the population of the world has been exponentially growing and exploding, particularly in the last century. And if you, nobody knows exactly how many people were alive at the time of Christ, but if based on reasonable estimates, Something like in the neighborhood of 98 to 99% of all people who have ever lived, lived after the time of Christ. When you think about population, the population of the world was very small at the time of Christ, smaller than a single country today. So the vast majority of all people have lived after the time of Christ. All people who live before Christ are saved by the same means, that is placing faith in God to be the provision, the provider, because people like Abraham who lived before Christ are saved by what? Faith. His faith was credited to him as righteousness. The difference is that before Pentecost, the Spirit would come upon people but not indwell them because Christ had not yet shed his blood to make them pure and holy. Since Pentecost, all those who believe the overwhelming majority of the world have had the opportunity to walk in the Spirit, that we are marked, sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit who is a guarantee, hopefully, of our inheritance. That the Holy Spirit in you is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Now, many years ago, well, let me say this. When I first became a Christian, I was discipled by people who had more of an Arminian theology, which is fine. But if you're an Arminian, you believe you can lose your salvation. But even those who are Arminian really believe that it's a very rare and, and remote thing that people don't lose their salvation unless they absolutely turn their back and reject God. And so I believed that early on because that's what I was taught. But then I began to wrestle with a question. And it was in my mind a lot. I kept thinking, what could I do to cause the Holy Spirit to leave me? Because I had come to understand that he dwelled within, that he's with me, that he's the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And I kept thinking, what can I do to cause him to leave? And after a long period of wrestling with this, I finally came to the conclusion, nothing. And that's when my theology began to change. I began to believe if you genuinely know him, you're not going to fall away. Now, there are those who give the appearance of knowing him who do fall away because they were never really one of us. They never really knew him. 
But if you genuinely know him, you've surrendered your life to him, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you're not going to fall away because he is the one who keeps you, who is developing you. Now, you still have to surrender your will. You have to cooperate in order to mature, to live the life that he calls you to. But he's the one who secures you. The Scripture does talk about a sin unto death. I do believe that there are times, I've done funerals for people where I believe this was the case, where there are times when people do know Christ, but they are turning away from him, walking away from him. They're not in his will, and he says enough and takes their life. That I believe there is a sin unto death, that it's not because God hates you, it's because he will not allow you to go to that path so far that he takes you. And I'm certain I've done funerals for people where that was exactly the case. In, in fact, I'm sure the Lord told me that in some situations. But he is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Do you know there is no greater gift that God could give? The greatest gift of Christ was to give his life as the sacrifice, the covering for your sin. That's the greatest possible gift he could give. The greatest gift the Father then could give after the work of Christ is himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. There's no greater gift. If somebody just suddenly offered you a million acres of land that was lush and had all kinds of resources on it, that you were suddenly extremely wealthy, it would pale in comparison to the value of the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. In fact, there's nothing in this world of any value, relatively speaking, compared to knowing the voice of the Lord. To hear one word from the Holy Spirit is more value than everything of this world. And he's in you. He loves you. The scripture also indicates in Corinthians that the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. That is, that we are very diverse around the world, but every person in whom the Holy Spirit dwells are a part of one single body, that is, the body of Christ, his bride, because we are all baptized by one spirit into one body. When Paul was writing this, he said, whether Jew or Greek, which meant whether a part of the Jewish nation or all the other people, all the ones that are often referred to as the Gentiles. He said, whether slave or free, no matter what position in life you're in, whether you're in a wealthy, powerful position or you're a slave in a lowly position, he said, we're all baptized into one body by one spirit, given one spirit to drink. This is why you can go anywhere in the world and encounter a person who knows Christ, may not even speak the language that you speak, but you can recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit in them. It's like very quickly when our Ukrainian friends started showing up, it was so obvious they knew the Lord because their faith was so real. You see, wherever you are throughout the world, the same Spirit is working in the lives of people. He's the same gift to every person, no matter what class of society, what country, what tongue, every tribe, every language is the opportunity to know him. And that you are baptized in him, that is when you accept him, he comes to dwell within you. He, you get all of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's a person, therefore he's not divisible. You don't get a fraction of the Holy Spirit. 
But here's the issue. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you, did he get all of you? In fact, if you were to ask me the question when I was a new Christian, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Well, I would have initially said, well, I didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. Then if you'd waited a few years and asked me, well, does the Holy Spirit control your life? Does he dominate your life? My answer would have been, mm, maybe. And if you said, well, what percentage of your life is controlled by the Holy Spirit? I might have boldly said 51%. In retrospect, I would have to say that would have been a vast overestimate. That I, the Holy Spirit fully dwelled within me, but he didn't have full control of me because I was still very fleshly in a lot of things. Today, if you were to ask me, does the Holy Spirit control your life and to what percentage, I would say, ooh, 52%. That too might still be an overestimate. Only time will tell. But you see, what God desires is 100%, does he not? He wants your will fully surrendered to him. I hope it's better than 52%. I was somewhat joking. I hope it's better, but it's, I'm sure it's not 100%. But he wants your will surrendered to him 100% of the time so that he lives through you completely, richly all of the time, that nothing takes place in your life apart from him. See, if you know him, you love him, you talk to him, you hear his voice, you do what he asks you to do, he's the one who's in charge. So in asking the question in this teaching about do you belong to Christ, the first step is do you belong to him in terms of salvation? But then the step is do you belong to him in relationship to the extent that the Holy Spirit dominates and controls your life? Now let me say this. This, this makes me uncomfortable. Which, by the way, do you know it's one of my goals to make you uncomfortable? It is. You know, this is true. Like, when we started doing Compassion International and brought them here, I wanted to get people uncomfortable with the idea of just looking at their own little sphere of life. I wanted them to look outside of their box and help children in different parts of the world. It's why we have different missionaries speak a lot of the time here or why we're helping Vicki Adundo or things like that. I want people to be uncomfortable with the American lifestyle. It's why we're helping the Ukrainians. It's, it's, I want us to have a vision that God's perspective is for the world. He loves the world. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. He loves the world. And see, I want us to be uncomfortable with the idea of living the American dream, whatever falsehood that was. Because you can do this. You can go through this life, I'm convinced of this, and miss it. You can go through this life pursuing the world, accomplishing things in the world, thinking you're something in the world, and miss the ministry that God called you to because you really didn't belong to the Spirit. Maybe because you didn't belong to him at all, you never knew him, but you can have saving faith and still live mostly by the flesh, not by the direction of the Spirit, and miss the primary things that God is calling you to. And see, I, I really think we're in a time where it is of urgency that every person evaluate their own life. And am I living for myself? Am I living for the flesh? Or am I living to know this Christ? Because at the point when you die, what will have mattered above all other things is do you know him? Have you walked in his will? 
Or did you only know about him and walked mostly in your own will? This is, this is a critical question. I mean, this is, the, this is what life boils down to. If life is about knowing the living God who created all things, there's nothing of more value than knowing him personally. Nothing. That if it costs you everything to know him, it's worth it. And really, there's nothing of greater value than to be surrendered to him, given over to him, that his spirit would live in you richly. That you would fulfill what he has prepared in advance for you to do. In Ephesians, it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. There's a lot of debauchery in our culture today. We've become desensitized to it gradually over time. But we live in a debased culture. Much of the world is that way. It might be worse here than anywhere because we so have exalted individual freedom that we now think freedom is the license to indulge our sinful nature to the worst possible degree. But instead, the scripture says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that you and I not only need to be baptized into the Spirit, come to know him, we need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit every day throughout the journey of life. It's like this. The reason that Boone Lake was down for so many years is that if you went out there and looked, there's the, the Boone Dam is a concrete dam. But it's abutted to a joined primary dam, but the earthen dam right beside of it was really a part of it. And it started leaking, water started leaking from Boone Lake through the crevices, the cracks in the rock, down in the earthen dam. Nobody could see where they were, but it started coming out into Patrick Henry Lake. In order to solve the problem, what they had to do is drill shafts down into the earthen dam, hundreds of feet deep, then pour a special concrete that went down and filled the crevices in the cracks of the rock. And you see, you and I have a lot of crevices in our lives where it's still dark, leaky, not of God. We need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit every day to fill the crevices and cracks of our lives. And you see, you need this continuously. To be growing in Christ, to be more like him means that the Holy Spirit is taking greater control of you all of the time. You see, the mission of the Holy Spirit in your life is to make you like Christ. He's living in you, manifesting the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on, self-control. If those things are come, becoming greater and greater in your life, it's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in you. He wants to create in you the life of Christ so that you then are the hands and feet of Christ ministering in this world to other people. And see, this question of how much does the Holy Spirit have you? Does he control you? Does he dominate your life? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And see, I don't think being filled with the Holy Spirit is a one-time scenario. Yes, you're baptized into the body of Christ, you get all of the Holy Spirit, but then the rest of life, he is getting more of you. 
And for some people, it's a steady journey of dying to yourself, surrendering to the Spirit, Him gaining greater control. For some people, they have sudden changes. Like I have a friend down in Knoxville that he had a sudden experience with the Holy Spirit. He, he was a nice church-going guy who suddenly had a fervor for Christ, and his, his children were asking their mom, like, what happened to Dad? And it wasn't a bad thing. They were like, he's different. He's better. But he had a radical change. For some people, it's radical. For some people, it's steady. That's why I love Oswald Chambers' statement that don't make your experience a principle. Because however God worked in you doesn't mean he's going to work in somebody else the exact same way. He's created all of us unique. But he does have the mission, the goal, that is the Holy Spirit, as the mission and goal to make you like Christ by filling you with the Holy Spirit continuously, taking control of your life. Now, the Scripture also says this. It says that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. To grieve the Holy Spirit is to do something that he does not want you to do. You see, the moral law of God is written on your heart. If the Holy Spirit dwells within you, he will convict you when you are about to do something or are doing something that is not of his will. I've had this scenario happen a few times where I've been in a situation where people are talking, they start talking about somebody. Essentially, it's starting to border upon gossip. And maybe if I said something, I had the conviction of the Spirit quickly to say, mm, don't do that. I've had it happen several times. The Lord is like convicting, saying, stop, don't go down that path. And see, if you love the Lord, if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he will convict you of anything. If you say something that's not the complete truth, he'll convict you. Go straighten it out. If there's something in your heart that's not of him, he will convict you. If there's some sinful pattern in your life, he will convict you. Now, let me say this. If there is a sinful pattern in your life and you do not feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, your heart is hard. And a hard heart is a very, very dangerous place. You see, having a hard heart toward the Holy Spirit is like walking on a path that is on a steep mountain ledge where there is a drop-off of hundreds of feet. You see, a hard heart is walking a very dangerous line thinking, I can be in control. I don't have to listen to others. I don't have to listen to wisdom. I don't have to listen to the Spirit. I've got it. But a hard heart can put you in a place where you can slip easily. See, a humble and contrite heart is very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Listening, not only the conviction of violating his will, but listening for his direction. Now, some of you right now know you are grieving the Holy Spirit. There's something in your life that is not of God that grieves him. And the reason he would convict you is because he loves you. Whatever it is that you think is important to keep in your life that grieves the Spirit is something that will ultimately bring destruction in your life. If God is convicting you and saying, don't go there, and you hold on to it, that thing is a dangerous thing because it's an idol. You want it more than you want God. It's an idol to you, and it will destroy you. Anything that's an idol in your life that is not of God, 
or destroy you. So I do ask, are you grieving the Holy Spirit? If you belong to him and you're submitted to him, walking in his will, he will convict you. But if you turn away from conviction and harden your heart, it will send you down a dangerous path. In addition to grieving the Holy Spirit, we can quench the Spirit. That is, grieving the Spirit is doing something he does not want you to do. Quenching the Spirit is not doing what he does want you to do. In other words, have you ever felt like God wants you to go and do something and you didn't do it, you didn't speak to somebody, you didn't take care of something, and then you regretted that you didn't? I mean, I've had that experience sometimes when, like, well, I told you about the experience on the plane going in Scotland. I didn't want to talk to this guy, but I did in that case. I'm glad I did. I was just tired. I want to take a nap. The Spirit wanted to talk to this fellow. But there have been times when I probably missed it, where I should have gone and talked to someone, gone and spent time with them, and quenched the Spirit. Some of you remember this. I told the story. The worst example, the Lord taught me very early about this. I'd only been a Christian about a year. I had an, a great aunt who lived with us who was like a third grandmother to me. She had fallen and broken her hip, had surgery. She was doing fine. She went to a rehab facility. One Sunday afternoon, I know the Lord was putting it upon my heart. Now, I was a very young Christian, but I know he was putting it upon my heart to go and see her. And I didn't go. And she died that night. See, I absolutely learned a very hard lesson about quenching the spirit right there. Because I knew, I know it. I mean, in retrospect, I knew he was telling me to go. I didn't go. Just because of the flesh. And that was a tough lesson. But there are a lot of times when we quench the spirit where God's telling us to do something and we don't. One of the gentlemen who went to the Don Sunshine evangelism training was telling me this week that when he was at the training, Don said something about make a list of those that you hope the Lord sets up a divine appointment for you to evangelize them. So he made a little list and he had on there somebody he worked with, somebody he had talked to many times, liked the person, but he'd never talked to him about spiritual things. He told me that shortly after the, the training, they were supposed to go to a business meeting in another city, and people were coming from different locations, and I don't remember the exact details, but something about they were supposed to have a meeting at such and such time, and this guy's flight was late, so he missed the meeting. He sent a message to the gentleman from here at Celebration who said, hey, you want to have dinner? I'm going to miss the meeting. And all the years they'd worked together, they'd never had a time where it was just the two of them chatting. And there, suddenly it was. And so the gentleman from here told me, he said, well, he knew that was a divine appointment. The guy was going through some difficult things in his life. They talked for a long, long period of time about faith. And the gentleman from here was able to share. He said, he said I was, how do you put it? Something like really nervous about the whole thing the whole time, but I was so excited. It was so, so good simultaneously that there was a part of him like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. And another part of him going like, wow, this is wonderful. 
which is sort of the Christian life a lot of the time. But you see, if he had had dinner with him and not shared, that would have been quenching the spirit. Anytime we disobey the will of God, we're quenching the spirit. We might grieve the spirit and quench the spirit simultaneously. Quite frankly, I think a lot of churches in the United States quench the spirit often because we operate too much in the flesh and not enough in the spirit. And that can be true for any church, including this church. So my question is, do you belong to the Holy Spirit? That is, not just do you belong to him, have salvation, he dwells within you, but do you belong to him in such that he calls you a friend, that he speaks to you? See, here's how you know. Does, do you listen to the voice of the Lord? Does he guide you? Does he direct you? Does he convict you? Does he give you direction about life? Does he comfort you? Does he speak to your heart? Does he give you opportunities? Does he give you ideas, visions about the life he wants you to fulfill? Are you surrendered to him? Do you belong to him? Now, here's the question I have. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit in greater measure? In other words, do you want him to take greater control of you? Do you want him to pour out any gift that he wants to pour out in you and through you? Do you want him to do anything in your life? You know, people get afraid of the Holy Spirit. They're afraid, well, if I surrender my life to the Holy Spirit and he gives me direction to go to Africa, I'll end up in Tanzania. Well, my daughter literally is in Tanzania today. You have to know Abby. Yes, she was in Scotland, but she's in Tanzania today. You can pray for her. She's only there for a short time. She seems to like it. But you see, if you surrender to him, more than likely, that's not what he's going to call you to do. More than likely, he's going to call you to live right where you are as an example of who he is. That he wants you to display the glory of knowing him, being his friend, being somebody who can make a difference in other people's lives. Do you want a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit? If so, I want you to raise your hands. If you would like a fresh filling of the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to raise your hands. Now, here's what I want you to do. There are a lot of people with their hands up. Keep them up. I want you to go and gather in groups. Just find all the people, their hands up. Keep them up till you find somebody. Go and gather in groups right now. Scurry. Don't sit there. Find the people and pray with them. That there be a fresh filling of the Spirit. Raise your hand if you want somebody to pray with you. Look around if there are people who want somebody. If there are people standing by themselves. Don't have somebody to pray with them. Pray with them. Don't leave anybody alone. Pray that the Holy Spirit would fill them afresh. That there'd be a new work in their lives. That the Lord would pour out his goodness, his grace, his mercy. That he would pour out his gifts. That he would pour out his life. 
Is he on? Yes, he's on. He was a pastor in Ukraine in one of the churches he was in, one of the pastors there. And I just felt led to ask you to pray for us. Like I said, you don't have to pray in English. Давайте поднимемся на ноги. Stand up, please. Hallelujah. 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 Бог благ, и Он любит нас. Отец, мы перед Тобой стоим. Ты там, где люди собираются ради Тебя. И Ты Твоим Духом здесь. Спасибо Тебе, Отец, за церковь, за то, что Ты выбрал, призвал нас, Господь, нашел нас, оправдал, простил, омыл и поставил перед собой, сделал нас непорочными и дал нам возможность взирать на Твою славу, Господь, и молиться к Тебе, Боже. И мы сейчас просим, чтобы по Твоей воле то, что на небесах пришло на землю, как Ты сказал, молитесь же так. И мы просим, чтобы то, что сегодня есть у Тебя в Твоем сердце, в Твоих руках, в Твоей воле, оно пришло на этих людей прямо сейчас. Пришло освежение от Святого Духа. Пришло обновление от Святого Духа. Пришло покаяние от Святого Духа. Пришло, пришли слова от Святого Духа. Пришло исцеление во имя Иисуса Христа от Святого Духа. Мы принимаем Тебя. Ты наш Бог, Ты наш Царь. Ты наш Спаситель. Ты наш наставник и Ты наш Учитель. Мы любим Тебя, Господь. Мы без Тебя не можем ничего. Мы зависим полностью от Тебя, Отец. Полностью. Полностью, Господь. И мы, мы смиряемся, чтобы следовать за Тобой, чтобы сказать, да, Господь, мы согласны с Твоей волей. Да, Господь, помоги нам. Да, Господь. Да, Господь. Пусть Твоя воля исполнится для нас. Пусть Твоя воля исполнится для этого места, Господь, для этой церкви. Пусть Твоя воля исполнится для этой территории, Господь, для Соединенных Штатов, Господь. Пусть придет полное освящение, Господь. Пусть Твой свет просвещает всякую тьму на этом месте, Господь. И Ты сказал, Господь, что даже мертвые, находясь в своих гробах, когда услышат голос Сына Божьего, встанут. И мы молимся, чтобы голос Иисуса Христа через Дух Божий говорил громко в этой местности, Господь. Мы молимся, чтобы спасение приходило в эту землю. Спасение приходило к грешникам, Отец, к отступившим, Боже, чтобы Ты возвращал Твоих сыновей и дочерей в Дом Божий, в семью, Господь. Мы молимся за тех, кто стоит на грани отступления, на грани, Господь, отречения. Мы молимся, чтобы Твоя любовь достучалась и привлекла их снова к Тебе, чтобы Ты снова дал надежду, Господь. Мы молимся за церковь, чтобы она ходила в огне Святого Духа, в познании Иисуса, в первой любви, Господь. Наполни, Господь, наполни этих людей. Вот мы перед Тобой, Господь. Возьми нас и пошли нас туда, куда Ты хочешь. Слава Тебе, Иисус!
пропускайте взаимоскрепляющие связи, отношения и любви. Они начнут работать очень сильно, Господь. Пусть тело Христово возрастает в познании Тебя, Боже. И авторитет Твоего Слова становится больше и больше, выше и выше. Аллилуйя. 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 Слава Тебе. Praise Lord. Praise Lord. Слава Тебе. Во имя Иисуса Христа. Аминь. Аминь. Thank you. Коста didn't know I was going to ask him to do that. You could be seated for just a second. You know, the Lord understood him as clearly as he understands any prayer that you and I offer. And I thought it was important that he pray in the power of the Spirit over us. Thank you, Costa. I have to depart immediately. So Sarah Hone is going to mention a few things before I go. Have a blessed day. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him.